how do we really make a, a positive contribution and I think a lot of that again came from A being a woman and B the social responsibility that my background had given me that I started to bring into the business world. So today I'm joined by Fiona Jeffrey, OBE. Fiona has had an absolutely illustrious career in the travel industry, uh, both as managing director and chairman of World Travel Market, but actually since 1998 is most famous for the charity Just A Drop, where Fiona was the founder and is the chair. It's all about bringing sustainable, safe water, sanitation and hygiene to communities across Asia, Africa, Latin America. So Fiona really is the epitome of leaving a legacy, making a mark on this world in a good way and alleviating poverty. And rightly so, Fiona was awarded an OBE by the Queen in 2012. So it's an absolute joy to have Fiona on the podcast. Enjoy the episode. If you're not actually subscribed, please do subscribe to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Follow me on social media and also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jeanette Linfoot. So here we go. Here's the show. So welcome to Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I'm here today with Fiona Jeffrey, OBE. And Fiona is the founder and chair of Just A Drop, but also long history in the travel industry. She's been the chair of World Travel Market and loads of other interesting things. So Fiona, welcome. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you, Jeanette. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, you're very welcome. And actually, we managed to arrange this in record time. So we were super, super efficient, which... um. It's quite a miracle given how busy we both are, but no, it's absolutely fantastic to see you. Um, and we've got an exciting lots of things to talk about, Fiona, haven't we? <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I have no doubt at all. Now, listen, Fiona, I've known you for many years. You are a, a legend in the travel industry. You're very, very well known. But obviously, for everything that you're doing on the global stage as well, um, it's really important, the impact you're making. But for someone that might not have come across you, do you want to just give us a bit of plotted history, where life started for you, how you've ended up doing the great things you're doing? And then we're just going to dig in from there, if that's all right. Okay, thank you. Um, well, maybe you can tell from my accent, but um, I'm Scottish. I was born in Scotland um, and brought up in Scotland. And my parents were a doctor and a nurse. And, and I just mentioned that because actually I think without me realising it, it that, that background really shaped a lot of how I view life and what I've ended up doing in my life. Um my original plan was to go into medicine, um, but I also recognised in my latter years at school that I probably wasn't scientific enough, but fundamentally, I actually wasn't tough enough. And to be a really good doctor, you have to be quite tough as well as having that, that, um, that sort of quality bedside communication manner. So I suddenly changed course and, and ended up um, studying languages, French, Spanish and Italian at Edinburgh University. And from uni, I then moved into the world of retailing because I fancied being a international buyer. And I started a graduate training scheme with the House of Fraser Group and ended up being an assistant buyer for lingerie and corsetry, which meant bras and knickers, basically, and a bit of nightwear. And I was based in the North East in, in the Bins Group and in Scotland. But that moved me down to London. And whilst I was down in London, I realized that I was actually part of a huge, huge, big corporation with 26,000 employees. And I decided that I actually wanted to op operate in a smaller environment where I potentially had more impact. And that ended up by sheer luck as would have it I ended up joining Reed Exhibitions and I started right at the bottom as a promotions executive marketing executive at the time and responsible for promoting a whole host of different business to business events um, in different parts of the world um, fortunately I got some of the girly stuff so I was doing international jewellery fair I did salon for hairdressing um I did stationery um I did food and hospitality but in that portfolio was also world travel market 
And World Travel Market was really young then. It was only five, six years old. It was still a very UK focused event. Um, but as things evolved and we were, it was the mid 1980s and the industry was really starting to take off. And that was a huge opportunity to really build, develop, grow the purpose behind World Travel Market. Um, and so I suppose I grew as the industry grew and as the event grew, and and that ultimately gave me quite a unique opportunity of being in a, a global international position with the organization, which also gave me a global international voice. And it was then a question of sort of recognizing that at a certain stage in, in the development of world travel market, in my personal development, and deciding, okay, what is that voice going to be? What what is World Travel Market going to stand for within the industry? What's its role? What its purpose is? Um, how do we really make a, a positive contribution? Um, and I think a lot of that, again, came from A, being a woman and B, and B um, the social responsibility that my background had given me that I started to bring into the business world. Wow, gosh. I mean, and actually you were at Travel Mart, a World Travel Market for what, 26 years or 27 yeah. years, 86 to 13? It's a long time, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it, it was a fantastic period to be involved with World Travel Market, Jeanette, because, you know, the low-cost airline industry was just evolving. Um, in, destinations were, were opening up all over the world, you know, it, it was at that time when it was unusual to go and visit Vietnam. People hadn't heard of Myanmar. Um, traveling to Africa? Ooh, that was it. That there was a question. And now you think about it now, and, and it's just not like that anymore, is it? You know, the world seems to be, you know, not for everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, the world is often seen as our oyster. And, you know, whilst we're very, very privileged to travel, and I still see that travel's a privilege, it's not a right, um, it's, it, it, the world has opened up and that really has influenced how we view things and also the impact that the industry can have as a consequence. And I suppose it was that side of the industry that I began to, when I took over World Travel Market in 94, I started to seriously see and recognise that the industry was growing so exponentially that if it continued to do that, it if and if it didn't do it responsibly, it would start to destroy the very product it was seeking to promote, which was the world, it was the planet. And actually, if we didn't protect that planet, then the industry would destroy its own business model. Uh, so that so that led me to create um, an initiative called Environmental Awareness Day. Back in 1996, it was an educational forum. And the first year I ran it, there's 45,000 people coming to World Travel Market and 30 people turned up. So oh. it, I, it was going to definitely be a challenge. And, um, and I recognized it was going to be a challenge. But fortunately, I had also an advisory board and only one of the board members, he was he was um, the CEO of APTA at the time, a guy called Ian Reynolds. And Ian was the one that said, Fiona, don't give up on it. My whole team thought I was mad. They thought I was absolutely nuts to be doing this. But, and I had issued everybody at World Travel Market with, it. we were in Earl's Court at the time, and I issued every exhibitor with three bags to recycle their glass, their waste, and, and their plastic. And at the end of World Travel Market, as we broke down, all I could see were thousands and thousands of empty bags just sitting on the floor because it really hadn't hit people's radar in any way whatsoever. So I didn't give up and it's now become World Responsible Tourism Day and it's the largest gathering of responsible tourism um, practitioners in the world now but it was that that it, it was a struggle with getting the industry to respond to an environmental agenda 
that made me think, okay, Fiona, you've got to come up with a better idea and something that will touch people more significantly. And that made me think, okay, a lot of us are parents. I've just become a mum. And I thought, okay, let's look at something that is still environmental in its reach. It's global because we're a global industry, but it impacts children and their families. And that's when I learned that a child was dying every 17 seconds because of dirty water. It was the biggest killer of children under the age of five. But I also learned quite incredibly at the time was that just one pound could deliver clean water to a child for nearly 10 years. So in my naivety, I thought, okay, I've got 45,000 people coming to World Travel Market. So if I can get a pound off everybody, then that will give me 45,000 pounds and we can do a lot with that. And um, so that's why I called it just a drop because the principle was if everybody in our industry that was coming to World Travel Market gave us a pound, then collectively the industry could start making a difference. And so that's how it started. But then I soon realized that actually you don't get a pound off everybody coming to a whole travel market and you have to evolve and change and, and, and do things in a slightly different way. So, wow. Gosh, so much in here, Fiona. Wow. I mean, to be honest, I, well, I love doing these interviews because I get to learn loads as well. So, you know, I didn't know a lot of this stuff around around sort of, you, you know, how you got into it in the first place. But, you know, what strikes me, Fiona, when you were actually talking, how incredibly purpose driven you, you were even at an early stage of your career. And as quite a young woman starting out, actually kind of knowing that you wanted to do good in the world in the context of the you know where you were in particular world travel market and then setting up just a drop where do you think that came from do you think that came from those early informative years with your parents being in the sort of the healthcare profession etc or where did it come from yes I did it's interesting Jeanette it was only and when I left world travel market and my CEO um sort of was saying, you know, goodbye. And he thanked me for everything that I'd done and how professional I'd always been and, and this, that and the other. And I sort of looked at him a bit aghast because I thought, why are you saying this? I, I am a professional. And then I, it, I had a light bulb moment um, because I, I realized that actually the way I'd been brought up had been in a professional background. And which was, it, which is what you get from doctors, nurses, lawyers, you know, it's, it's that, it's that culture. Mm. But I moved because I, I wasn't, I was going to, I would have been a failed doctor. I moved into the business world, but I sort of brought the professional approach. It was the ethics. It was what is good business about, you know, and why are we in business? You know, why are we doing what we're doing if it's, and is it is it just to sell a product or what else can it do? And I suppose what I was interested in doing was, you know, I, I really valued being in this dynamic, changing, evolving industry. And it was fantastic that people could have wonderful experiences off the back of it. But I actually also felt as an industry, we could do so much more. And it was trying to identify and explore what that could be and it also gave me a sort of appreciation that there is a lot of power in business if it is directed in a really positive purposeful way and that you know business can help contribute to changing what we do whereas other sectors can find that very difficult and so I sort of tried to bring the business world that I was able to influence into another dimension, which was bringing it into the third sector. I didn't set out to run a charity. I didn't set out to create Just A Drop as a charity. Just A Drop evolved because I wanted to put purpose back into our travel and tourism industry and encourage them to give back and to make that meaningful so that they really understood what they were contributing to and the rest sort of evolved. Um, so I think definitely my upbringing, 
but I didn't realize it at the time. I just followed my <laughs> I just followed my instincts basically. Yeah, yeah. No, there's so much in this because I think, you know, obviously the world of business and travel has moved on significantly. And I remember being at Earl's Court, you know, I, I first got into travel in 95 when I was a young, well, relatively young, fresh-faced graduate. And um, yeah, I mean, like you say, the, the parts of the world that are so accessible now were, 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 were the stuff of dreams um, back then. And, and you're right, that impact. But some of the stats you were talking about, Fiona, are really shocking. Um, you know, in terms of a child dying, you know, every 17, 17 minutes, did you say 17? 17 seconds. Seconds, 17 seconds. Yeah, I was about to say minutes. I thought, no, you said seconds. So, I mean, that is shocking. I don't know, have those numbers shifted, Fiona? Because obviously a lot has been done and we're going to get into a bit more detail. But if you were looking at, at that today, in today's world, water is still incredibly important and we take it for granted, don't we, in the Western world? Um, but what would the, some of the stats that are sort of up to date in terms of today's um, scenario that you're working with? Okay, we now it shifted from every 17 seconds a child dies to every two minutes. So it's improved a lot, but it's still, still. it's still a really shocking statistic. Um, over 771 million people don't have access to safe water close to their homes. So that's about one in 10 people. And one in three people don't have access to safe sanitation. And what was fascinating, Jeanette, about, I mean, I started that this journey because water was an environmental issue and we managed to make it relevant to the travel industry because it was touching people. But again, on the journey, I hadn't appreciated just how vulnerable people are when they're having to walk long, long distances to collect water. And on average, women and children are walking two to three hours a day, can be twice a day, to collect water. And so I recognised that there was a health issue. And being the daughter of a doctor and a nurse, I got that very quickly and very easily. What I hadn't appreciated is just how vulnerable women and children are just doing that journey. And you know, they could be attacked by wild animals, you know, going to collect water. There was children that were attacked by crocodiles or wouldn't be able to go and collect water by the river because the elephant were there and they were scared. Children were abducted and recruited into things like the Lord's Resistance Army. Um, you know, women could be raped. So there was, a, there was a massive safety issue. And then there's all the time that's taken to collect water. So it means that kids aren't in school getting an education and women are spending all this time going to collect water, but that doesn't mean they've not got the same time to do other income generating things. So by just putting, giving them access to safe water close to their homes, suddenly women had the opportunity to spend time um, growing crops. And when you've got access to water, you can grow crops and that means you can feed your families better. And it also means that you've got access to clean water, so you're not sick, so you're not spending money on medicine. Um, and the children start to have the opportunity to go to school. So we found that actually just giving people access to water was, was actually the start of helping people flourish. And so we don't really focus on, you know, although our constitution is that we are a registered charity, I actually don't like the word charity. Um, we consider ourselves an international development organization and it's about empowering other other people and supporting them to be able to look after themselves and to and to rebuild their own lives by just giving them starting with the access to safe water but it's so much more than that yeah and actually Fiona I mean it links back into the you know the the name just a drop doesn't it because if you think about it as you were talking it's like dropping a pebble in a pond and that ripple effect you know, people just think it's about water. But as you say, it's so much more than that. This is about economic freedom, isn't it, actually? Yeah. And and being able to, you know, do good in the world on such a broad basis that um, it's, not, it's not as simple as water. <laughs> no, but, you know, when people do have access to water and they can start growing crops, then with the excess crops they can trade, that gives them an income. It helps them get out of the poverty trap. 
and it also enables them to pay for school fees for their children, which starts to give them, you know, a leg up and a new opportunity. Um, so, so yes, it's it, it, but it's amazing that so much can be achieved, and you don't need a lot of money to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and in terms of you know when you started out, Fiona, you you kind of had this this pull, if you like, this um, you know purpose behind what you were doing and like you said 48,000 people visiting world travel market well we just need a quid off each of them and my god we can do make a make a big impact um so I guess you started small and then you've grown from there haven't you in terms of the impact the charity etc so how I don't know if you're able to measure this Fiona, but how many people do you think you've actually helped since you actually started the charity to where you are today because I bet it's a big number now yeah, I mean, from when we started, we do monitor it, and to date, we've helped one point nine million people. Um, and we're not a big organization; we're not huge. We're we're still growing. We still got obviously COVID, you know, and the pandemic. Like everybody, we we were impacted by that, but we're rebuilding and we're um, and we're growing again. Um, but the team the team is small, and we benefit from having um volunteer engineers and hydrogeologists so what we've done is look to create a very professional operation so that anything that we do is genuinely sustainable in the long term so starting just a drop was um the sort of social element of the sustainability agenda that i tried to start with environmental awareness day and at that time the word sustainability was out there, but nobody really understood what it meant and were confused by it in our industry. And it, it, it meant so many different things and it and it does, it, it is quite complex. But in starting just to drop the one thing I wanted to make sure was that, and I'd read up that, you know, there were hundreds of discarded hand pumps scattered all across the world, but Africa particularly. And I just thought, no, we are not going to be that organization. I thought it, do it doesn't matter how small we are, whatever we do has got to have a long-term impact. If we're asking people to support us, which I was not then starting to ask people in the business world, in travel and tourism, will you help us on this journey? I wanted to be able to look them in the eye and be able to really, get them to understand that they had actually invested in other people they had invested in people's future and that that future was going to be sustainable in the long term and that they could have trust and faith in what we were doing and it was at a time when actually the charity world was probably still quite criticized for being um you know accepting donations but not always being very transparent about what happened and I again I just thought no we're not going to be that organization we're going to report on everything that we do uh if anybody invests in our organization they're going to understand and see what's happened to the money that they've been good enough to share with us um and so that's the sort of philosophy that we brought so it, it was actually what I found I think was that I was bringing um business principles accountability transparency uh, we were just bringing it into the charity world and and running looking at just running just a drop not just as a charitable development organization but as a as a as a as a professional business as well you know with with those sort of business principles and ethics and I love that because I think very often when we actually move from one world into another, whether it's between businesses sectors or in your case, kind of moving from business to, to more of the charitable side of things, you know, we don't start from scratch, do we? We actually have transferable skills. We have knowledge that we can actually bring to that new venture. And I think very often people forget that almost. And, and that combination that you bought actually was what was needed at the time, but also I'm sure meant that you were able to have very robust conversations with business leaders about how you were taking the responsibility of their investments seriously and you were acting as if it was your own money as well as their money um in in terms of the governance around that yeah yeah no absolutely you, you know it was really important to me because i was sort of moving into a new field that i didn't really know an awful lot about that was actually quite a new journey for me 
and, and sort of not one that I'd really planned. <laughs> but it was really important to me that people could have trust and faith and that we were going to deliver to everybody that we had an accountability and responsibility to, which included the communities that we were looking to help and support and that they were um, the sustainability of those programs was as much about the relationship that we had with those people in the field um, and in in our destination. Sorry, my battery's just about to go down. <laughs> 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 oh, battery, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, um, yeah, it, it, and it was that sense of teamwork. You know, we were facilitating as the middle person, both ends, but actually none of it could be done without all of us collaborating and working together. And mm. I, I do feel that when you collaborate like that, you get much better outcomes for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with you. And you know, Fiona, you must have seen some, some pretty um, heartwarming situations, but also some quite harrowing situations mm. as well. Could, what what's been what's been the sort of the the high do, would you say in terms of what you've achieved and what's been the the toughest the low the low part of of actually dealing with with some of the um you know the human stories really I suppose behind this. Um, well, there's quite a few, but uh, let me try and just give you two examples. Um, one we were um we had put water and sanitation into um, a school that didn't have access to anything. Um, and having done that, and it was really important that we built gender sensitive toilets as well, because one of the things you find is that um, lots of girls drop out of school due to puberty because they don't have access to sanitary pads. Um, you know, we learned that actually some of the girls and even mothers didn't really understand um, what happened to their bodies so the pain created a lot of fear for a lot of girls um, if they asked their fathers who tended to have control of them of the, the the family person so to speak and asked for money we were finding that some of those girls were being beaten up because the fathers didn't understand that when they ended up having their period this was natural they thought it was a sign that they had been sleeping with other men or boys so there's a lot of there were a lot of taboos and a lot of misunderstandings um so we put in water we put in gender sensitive toilets and we also did a lot of um menstrual hygiene education and it wasn't just to the girls it was to the boys as well male teachers female teachers and we went back quite a few months later and the school had set up a health club that all the children were involved in and then they did a, a series of talks and demonstrations to illustrate what they had learned. And at the very end of that, there was a 14-year-old girl who came out and stood in front of the whole school, 300 pupils and all the dignitaries that were there, including ourselves, with a hanky in the shape of a knicker. And she took a one of the um, reusable sanitary pads that we taught them to make and in front of the whole school, she put that sanitary pad on her knicker, so to speak, and illustrated how they used it. And, you know, there wasn't a single titter or laugh or anything. And I thought, if a 14-year-old girl did that in a school in the UK, what sort of response would it get? But it reflected the insight and the education and the understanding that uh, this community and these school kids now had and the confidence that this young girl had at 14 to be able to stand up in front of the school and and demonstrate that and so so that was hugely heartwarming because we had come across so many situations where as I say girls have been dropping out of school and felt stigmatized and lost confidence and that was a slow, slippery journey for them, ultimately, because it just led to early pregnancy and everything else. And so that was really heartwarming. And then another trip I had, um, which was actually only last year, um, I found quite 
quite shocking and harrowing. And we were working in northern Uganda, which is in the border of Sudan. This is an area that had been impacted by the Lord's Resistance Army by, for 10 years. So the poverty was absolutely huge, worse than I've seen in a lot of places. But we visited this school and we were gathering under the trees, meeting the headmaster, local parents um, and teachers to discuss the needs of the school and maybe how we could help. And I suddenly heard this massive noise and I turned around to the headmaster and I said, what's that noise? And he said, well, that's the children queuing up to get water. So I thought, right, I've got to see this. And I left the meeting and I just walked around a building and there was a queue of 550 children queuing. With, at the top of the queue, there was a girl holding a plastic cup. It was dipped into a, a, a small vessel of water. She drank it and she passed it on to the next person. And that, that mug was passed down 550 times to the children. So that was the, all the water that they got for the whole day. And in the meeting I had with the headmaster afterwards, he said that there were 726 children at the school. So I said, well, where were the other 170 kids? And he said, their parents can't afford the water. So they're not able to come to school. And I just thought, gosh, you know, this is just, this is just not, this is just not right. You know, I, and, and, and it's not, it's not that difficult to come up with the solutions. So we've now, we are now funding a borehole in the school. The school only had five latrines and it had, as I say, attending 550 children. So a lot of time was left queuing to go to the toilet. Classrooms, the smallest, the, the little little kids, there was 200 children in a classroom and there's the older kids, there was 100 children in the classroom. But by starting to create water sanitation, hygiene education, you start to lift that school and, and everything will start to improve from that. So, so yes, you come across different things, health centers, but can you imagine a health center running without access to, to water? You know, I've seen maternity nurses um, running, you know, a woman giving birth and, and the maternity nurse having to run out of the, out of the complex of the, of the hospital, go to the nearest um, hand pump, fill a jerry can and run back again because they don't have running water. So it's it's very simple thing. It's a very simple thing. It's not too complicated to resolve, but it makes a massive difference. Wow. I mean, as you were talking, I've gone really goose pimply, actually. And um, when you describe both of those scenarios, it just really hits home why you do what you do, why it's so important and how, you know, all of us really have got a responsibility to do our bit wherever we can, whatever that looks like. And Fiona, obviously, you know, a big part of this is raising awareness of, of the, the, the issues anyway and the extent of those, but also how people can help and how they can, can get involved. So what's the best way, Fiona, for people to, to support, get involved? Obviously, there's a donation side of it, but I'm sure there's much more that people can do if they want to really um, you know support what you're doing and, and make that impact and help help all these wonderful people all over the world um well we if they want to visit our website they'll get more information about what it is that we do um and yes people can donate from the website but this world water day we've got a campaign happening called walk to the well and what it does is it follows Anne's journey who's a mom in Kenya and every day she walks nine kilometers to collect water and go back to her home again with her two children. And so what we've done is that with the support of, um, and, and it's been the pro bono support of an agency called VCCP, they have created, we filmed Anne with a drone making that journey there and back. And VCCP have created the world, the, the longest Twitter feed ever created and it follows Anne's journey. And so any, whether you're on Instagram or Twitter or through LinkedIn, 
um, there's an opportunity for you to share um, the the feed and people then can go on that journey um, and you'll probably drop off after a while. But if you like the tweet, then we will come back and we'll say, well done, Jeanette, you've successfully walked 3.6 kilometers, but Anne's got another, another nine kilometers to complete. Um, and if you want to stop the toil of women and children collecting water, then there's a link and you can make a small donation. And we're not asking for a lot and it's completely voluntary, but it would let people experience the sort of journey that people have to go on because it's a real life journey. Um, it's completely authentic and it would just give people a bit of an insight. So sharing that, sharing that journey, the walk to the well, hashtag walk to the well. Um, would be a really nice way for people to get involved and, and see for themselves just what other people have to do day in, day out. Oh, I love that. And uh, <laughs> this episode, we're, we're pre-recording this uh, just in the nick of time. So this is going to be out on the 20th of March, the Monday, and World Water Day is the 22nd, isn't it? So it's perfect timing, Fiona. But of course, you know, that is such a, a rich campaign because, uh, you know, you feel part of it you can really envisage and, and feel like you're on that journey with Anne. And, and as you say, there's a motivation to keep going, like she has to keep going every day. You know, let's hope that lots of people keep going and supporting it as well. But that that campaign will run and run, won't it? You know, that that will be, if we're, if we're talking in three, four, five years' time, you know, that is still going to be incredibly meaningful. So I think, you know, I'll just encourage everyone to get involved, get involved as much as you can and, you know, really help help um, you know, all these amazing people that you you know that you're you're actually reaching out to and, and changing lives. So amazing. That's gonna be fabulous, Fiona. Can I ask you a more of a personal question? Um, because it's it's great to talk about all of this, of course it is, but I'm also very interested in you as a as a leader, as a person. And through all of the experience you've had, Fiona, you know, you must have learned a lot about yourself through this this time as well when you look back in particular with just a drop what what are the things that you've how have you shaped and grown do you think as as a person and as a as a leader of this amazing charity and and the impact you have on the world stage um i don't know i mean i don't really look look at it like that um i suppose I've always, um, I've always believed, I suppose, that actions speak louder than words. So that's been a bit of a man because, it, and particularly, I, you know, I've seen in the travel industry, we are really good at talking, you know, and we, we love, we love to theorize and this, that, and the other. But I've always believed that you can have, you can have great ideas and dreams, but unless you can make them happen then it stays a dream. And I, the practical nature of me being quite, you know, I'm quite pragmatic. Um, it's about finding solutions to make things happen. And so I believe in trying as much as possible to keep things simple so that people can actually do things and understand things enough. And I think that was one of the challenges about sustainability is just how what a, a complex web was created around it. And so, and I thought the more complex this gets, the less likely people are going to engage in anything. So how do we keep things simple? How do we um, make things happen um, so that dreams become a reality? Um, and sticking with that concept that actions speak louder than words. So, so let that determine how you go about doing things. Yeah, I love I love that actually. I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think there's a bit of a formula for success actually, <laughs> and it is about keeping it simple because I, I I always say it's belief plus purpose plus action is when you'll get results. You know, you've got to believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, be really clear on your why. You know, start with the why, and obviously you've you've been very close to your own personal purpose. But what you you know, we all have a place in the world, don't we? We're all here for a reason. I, I believe that. And um, but actually, you don't want to be the best kept secret. And it's only by taking the action that stuff's going to get done, <laughs> and you're going to make an impact, right? Yeah, 
yes and I, I hope you've thought about it more than I do I, I, I suppose I'm quite an instinctive person and it's and actually it's not really about me it's it's about the impact that you can have and I genuinely believe picking up what you said is that um do we all realize that we're here for a purpose I'm not sure we all do but the reality is that um we can have a purpose we can and I don't it doesn't matter to me how big or small that is I just feel that you know if it's if it's in our ability and gift then we should try and do something um which helps others along the way somehow and it doesn't need to be big it doesn't need yeah you know, it could be helping the old lady down the road that ends up being lonely you know but if we if we could just each recognize that we have that in in all of us then then actually we probably make the world a bit of a nicer place and it yeah. but it's not i don't think we have to be high achievers i i haven't ever set out to do that i've just set out to try and make a difference and and make it meaningful um, yeah. at whatever level that was um, yeah I think it's the incremental gain doesn't it Fiona you know it's like one percent better you know just one percent just one percent or just you know take 10 minutes out of your day to make a phone call to someone who's a bit lonely or whatever it is you know everyone can give something and it isn't always about money often the most precious thing you can give is your time um you know and 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 I think you're right. Everyone, you know, one be clear on your own purpose. Your purpose in life might be to be a great mum or to be a fantastic mm. partner, or you know, don't all have to, you know, take on the world. But be clear on what you want for your for your own kind of life. But also, as you say, help others along the way wherever you can, no matter how small that is. Because often it can just be looking at someone who's having a bad day and smiling. And that could lift that person out of a really dark place. And you don't even know you've done it, but it's it's often those tiny little things. And and I suppose that comes back to full circle to what you were saying around, you know, if everyone could just give just a pound, yeah. look at the change, just a pound. Everyone can afford a pound, you know? Exactly. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's more a sort of philosophy of mind. It's just how, you know, how, how do we look on things? And we can either be, oh, gosh, you know, the world is really and, and the world is tough right now but actually you know how, how the world evolves is also in all of our hands and even if it's just in your own neighborhood making things a bit better for people actually that means people smile a bit more so you know um so no i i think i think we can set ourselves up too much by trying to save the world i'm certainly not trying to do that but if what we do as individuals can touch people and make things a bit better along the way, then 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 that that's better than not. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you are incredibly humble, by the way, Fiona, because we haven't spoke about your OBE yet. And I am going to mention it because it is an external recognition of the impact you've made and, and that, you know, the change that you've brought to the industry. So that was back in 2012, I believe, that you were, you got your OBE from the Queen. Um, I know you're very humble, but honestly, you really you really deserve the accolade. And I know it's not why you do it, um, but it is nice to be recognised as well. So can you just talk us through how that came about? Um, what was it like? What was it like on the day? Um, well, the day itself was lovely. I was very lucky to end up... Um, had doing it at all really because I remember it was just after World Travel Market or before World Travel Market and obviously I was really busy and a letter came through and I sort of looked at the letter and it said but I sort of skimmed it and it said you can't you can't um you can't mention this to anybody so I thought okay and then I just put it on a, on on my pile at home um and it was a few weeks later afterwards I was going back through all paperwork and I sort of looked at it again and I gave it to my hu husband to read and um he just read it and he said you've got to be joking and I looked at him and I said what and he went you've got to be joking and I said what are you talking about and he said have you read this I went yes he said have you read it properly and it was actually him that told me what was in the letter. 
because I hadn't really taken it on board at all. And I was just conscious that I wasn't saying anything to anybody. So it was just lucky that I actually even gave it to him. He said, you need to go back and say whether you're going to accept this or not. And I went, oh, do I? <laughs> so, but the day itself was lovely. My children were there. My husband was there. My mum and dad came down from Scotland. I took them all out for um, lunch afterwards. Um, it was a real honour to to receive um, an OBE. It was Princess Anne I received it from, and we had a great chat. She was amazing um, and quite inspiring herself. Um, and the kid said to me, Mum, she talked to you for a very long time. <laughs> And then, but afterwards, what was really nice is I hosted a, a sort of um, sort of reception and drinks um, for everybody that I felt had been part of my journey in travel and tourism. Because, you know, an OBE is just a recognition of, of what, what you've done that so many other people have contributed to. And so it was it was actually really nice to be able to say thank you and to share share it with everybody else. So it's not really about me. It's about the team behind World Travel Market, the industry behind World Travel Market, everything that we'd achieved as an industry together. And there were a lot of people, advisory council members and lots of people that were part of that journey that 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 joined me on that. So so yes, it was but it's it's in a cupboard somewhere, Jeanette. I haven't got a clue where <laughs> You might have to dust it off, dust it off, and uh, and then kind of you know do some photos, do some photos to remind you, remind yourself how great you are. Because I think we have to work on our mindset all the time, don't we? You know, we we're too we're too often we sort of downplay sometimes what our achievements are, and you are incredibly humble. But you like you say, it's a recognition, and you're accepting it. But it's on behalf of that wider group, isn't it? And on behalf of the industry. And I think that is really, it's a beautiful thing, you know, the, the travel industry. I mean, one, we're massive. We account for 10% of global GDP. And we, you know, millions and millions of jobs created. We alleviate poverty. We do great things. You know, freedom of movement is an absolute joy and something I think that we appreciate far more now after pandemic, et cetera. But to actually, you know, be be part of that and to be publicly recognised, I think is really lovely. And like you say, you know, you accepted it on behalf of, of all the people that have made a change. And, and it's and it's it is hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people that actually contribute. So that's that's fantastic. And Fiona, can I talk a little bit about about you as being a being a woman in the in the roles that you've had? Um because, you know, gender diversity, equity, inclusion, well, not just gender diversity, but diversity in all its wonderful shapes and colours and magnificence, whether it's LBGTQ, disability, social mobility, you know, the whole shebang, cultural backgrounds. Um, as a woman, have you faced any challenges, Fiona, or have you just cracked on with what you think is do the right thing and then not even been a consideration, um, given that you've actually operated in some some quite interesting parts of the world as well just wondered how your personal experience has been as a woman with the roles you've had um I think generally Jeanette I've been very very fortunate and very very lucky I mean there are a lot of women in the travel and tourism industry um yeah I've got colleagues and friends that work in different industries and I think they come across um more prejudice and but, you know, within travel and tourism, there have been a lot of women in the industry. I think that's helped. It was really interesting when I started to work on Arabian travel market and go out to work in the Middle East back in, you know, late 1980s, early 1990s. You know, Dubai was still only had two hotels at that time. Um, there was the World Trade Center. There was one roundabout. It was called Budgie Roundabout because it had a carving of a budgie on it. And... It was sand orientated, you know, the sand was all over the streets and stuff. It just so different to what it is now. But I, you know, and I was working with um, my boss at the time, um, who was a guy. But, you know, in fairness, even even in that environment, I was treated very respectfully and equally as a woman because I had a job and a role to perform. Um, what I would say is you know, one of the things I did learn was when I think I became a much better manager when I became a mum. 
And I think a lot of women can be um, apprehensive. Certainly I was that when I was going to have my first child, what impact that was going to have on my career, because it was never a given that you would be able to maintain your career. And there wasn't the same protection that there is now. But, you know, it's a very personal thing what you choose. Um, but also you need the right environment to be creative for you to continue to flourish. And um, and I was fortunate that, that that was made possible for me. So whereas I've had colleagues maybe five years ahead of me where it hadn't been possible. So mm. I was lucky in that sense. But I also recognized that when I did become a mom, instead of being fearful of being able to do my job, I think I actually got better at my job because I ended up having a different perspective as well. And you, it, it puts things into perspective and you understand what is really important. And I wasn't at that stage dealing with life and death situations that doctors and nurses deal with. I was dealing with business issues. And so I actually think I became a better and more successful leader once I did become a mother. And that was quite eye-opening for me at that time. And, you know, I think, you know, society and women have moved on. You know, I'm going back, you know, 30 years. So I think things have moved on. But at that time, um, and I would, I would, would always encourage um, women to believe that they can have their careers and their families if that's what they want. Mm, yeah, I mean, like you say, the world has moved on, hasn't it? But that's interesting perspective that you, that, you know that being becoming a mum actually brought to you. It made you a better version of yourself it, in the workplace as well. Um, and yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's refreshing. I mean, we're, you know, I did a, I did a post this morning about how the world has changed and we have improved significantly. You know, I mean, I think we're now at forty percent of um you know executives senior leaders on FTSE you know FTSE led businesses now and it was 12 and a half percent 10 years ago so we've made massive progress still more to be done of course there is and uh, I think you know having the right people in your network the right role models people to support guide and that can be men and women as well it doesn't all have to be other women but how important has that been for you, Fiona, in your career, having the right people around you, not just your team, but actually people that, you know, can kind of be a, almost like a safe space, a confident in terms of a mentor or a coach or just people in the industry that have helped you? It's really interesting, Jeanette, because I think if I were starting out now, they would probably play a much more important role than I did have, whether that's because it's more available now to what it was then I'd say my mentors at the time um without me realizing it were obviously my mum and dad because that gave me my professional social ethical moral perspective but I also had a very good boss um who Tom Nutley who was running World Travel Market before me and he was um he he encouraged and gave me the space to grow um, and also guided me in terms of financial management and team management right from those early days. Um, so I, he was definitely a mentor for me. Um, but now, you know, there are some really, really good business gurus that you can access so much information now online um your your perspectives can be challenged um so i think that there's much more accessibility to that kind of insight than 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 there was when i was first starting and so i just i just ended up being i think a a bit of a sponge and in any environment that i was in I was just curious and interested in what people had to say and and sort of use that international network to give me um, and learn, learn the art of diplomacy, which is really important in any aspect of business and particularly in international business.
Yeah, yeah. And the cultural diversity, I mean, you must, you've had to navigate through a whole bunch of different environments, haven't you? Um, and certainly, I mean, I found that when I was MD of the emerging markets for two, you know, and I was running businesses in Russia, China, India, Brazil, you know, and it was a very different style and dynamic and cultural understanding that I had to kind of get attuned to. And, you know, you can't just go in with a, a Western European approach and think that it's going to work, you know, it just doesn't. And, and I, I certainly felt myself on that cultural journey. I really matured. I became so much better at reading people, reading situations, being able to be more adaptable and probably a bit more emotionally aware of, of those nuances. Um, so have you ever had any sort of cultural disasters, Fiona, where you've maybe not got it right <laughs> and you've thought, oh, my, oops, I didn't mean that to happen? <laughs> um it was one of the one of the most challenging situations was actually when we were setting up Arabian travel market and we had the choice of either going to Bahrain or to Dubai and both were interested in hosting the event and the first year we did Bahrain the second year we did Dubai and then we had to make a decision as to whether we were going to go back to Bahrain and we decided that actually for the overall success of the region we should be staying in Dubai and we had to turn around to the Minister of Information um, and explain why we'd made that decision and he was not at all pleased and um, said something to the effect that it's really important to have the right umbrella and if you don't have the right umbrella you can um, die in this under the sun or you can be soaked by the rain if you don't have the right umbrella and uh, we were escorted back to our our hotel and told not to leave again <laughs> until we were ready to get on the plane to come home <laughs> so it's yes i mean but you have to in in situations like that we you understand why people feel um that and, and I think it's a testament to people's desire to engage in the world of tourism and reflects the investment that countries and destinations want to put behind our industry because it does have such an important role in, in, in building and developing economies and employment and everything else. My advocacy now is that is all fantastic, but we also have to protect the environment. We have to make sure that what we do when we do travel, we have to do it responsibly and do it well. And that's yeah. a shift in, in it's not just about growth anymore. Growth was fantastic in the 80s and 90s in opening up new destinations. But whatever we do now, we have to do tourism and travel responsibly. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, we've got COP28 is in Dubai in November um, this year. And obviously that, that will continue to grow and grow as a forum. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how, how the initiatives change. And, and in terms of your position on the world stage, Fiona, because you, you do have a strong voice, don't you, with everything that you do with UNWTO. So do you want to just sort of talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I was very privileged to be invited to sit on um, the UNWTO's World Ethics Committee for Tourism. And, you know, in doing that, it was, it was again, there's a, there is a global code of ethics. And I think, especially in tough times, post-pandemic and everything else, it's actually really, um, you know, people are trying to rebuild businesses and keep growing and this, that and the other. But I, I have always actually believed that ethics was really, really important in business. And if you get the ethics right, then that leads to much better, more sustainable businesses in the long term. So it was it was a real it, it was a period of about six years. Um, and we were looking at things like the responsible traveler. We tackled indigenous you know, treatment of indigenous people, um, as well as some of the, you know, the challenges that we still face now in terms of um, losing biodiversity and destinations. And that's what was great about COP15 on biodiversity that happened in Canada. So all of these things are coming much, much more to the foreground. And 
the industry can't afford to ignore it any longer. It's part of our day-to-day -day vocabulary now. Um, again, what I just feel we still need to do is um, make the shift so that we're actions speak louder than the words. And it's how do we take those vital steps? And it doesn't matter that we start small um, because it becomes a building brick. So for example, it's quite important. I think we all start to measure our carbon footprint and there are people out there that can, no matter what size your organization can help you do that because it can feel a bit overwhelming. Um, but we now have measured the carbon footprint of, of Just a Draw and we measure the carbon footprint of every single project that we do anywhere in the world. And we're on a net zero journey. And we have to balance that quite carefully between um, us being very carbon sensitive, but still having the right impact in what we're doing and making sure that's sustainable. So there are challenging decisions to be made, but based on being better informed helps us make better decisions. And I'd encourage anybody to, to, to start that journey. You know, we're not huge, but we can, it goes back to that business of, if we all do a little, collectively, we can make a difference. Um, and that's something that people in the industry need to recognize is that whilst we want travel and tourism to continue to grow and develop, we do have to think about the carbon footprint that we create in doing so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, taking I was thinking back to that image that you said of all the carry, you know, the bags around World Travel Market that first year you were trying to encourage people to recycle. And yes, we've moved on, but there's still so much more to do, isn't there? And I think, like you say, it starts with awareness. And, and what gets measured gets done in, in simple terms. So even if you, you're a bit worried about what the what what it's going to come out as, at least start because it's a line in the sand to move forward from, isn't it then? And then you can actually really measure the progress and get, get the team behind these initiatives. And like you say, I think no matter what business you're in or how big it is, everyone can start. Start simple, exactly. uh, but start now. Yeah. <laughs> don't wait. Exactly. And, and don't don't be scared of, of, of starting and accepting that you're going to be learning all the time. You know, we all are. It, it's a journey for all of us. So, um, yes, we, ju we just need to get, get on board with it um, and, and do the best that we can. We can't do any more than that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Fiona, listen, I could chat to you all day and I'm really excited about all the initiatives. I'm excited about World War Today and uh, how people can get involved with that monster tweet um, and following and supporting that. That's lovely. I, I think that's so an in, in, innovative way of bringing it all to life. So I think that's amazing. And, um, you know, when you look back over your career, um, can you think of the best piece of advice you've been given over the years? Uh, probably from the, my the boss that I I talked to you about before, and he said he always said to me, he said Fiona, just be yourself. So I've always attempted to just be myself. Yeah. Well, it it's obviously done you pretty pretty well so far, Fiona. So that's a good a good piece of advice that's worked for you. That you're right, isn't it? What I'm saying, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> great advice. Great advice. And have you ever had any bad advice, Fiona, or advice that you wish you hadn't taken? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, let me think about it. Probably, um, somebody said to me once. Um, I think it was my treasurer actually for 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 just a drop, and he said, and he's he's a great he was a great friend, um, and he was a fantastic treasurer. But he said to me, "Don't get too involved." Yeah, and but I think if if you care about something it's quite difficult not to be involved. It's just recognizing where it's appropriate to be involved and when not to be. But if you if you if you're if you're following something that really matters to you, then hopefully that involvement does mean something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because when you love what you do and you're passionate about it, how can you not how can you not be involved emotionally? And you know, I agree with you because sometimes it's like when people say, oh, it's nothing personal, it's just business. Well, no, I'm sorry, it is personal because we're emotional. Pe business is people. People are emotions and energy. And so, you know, it doesn't quite work out that way. Um, it, so I agree with you. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a joy, isn't it? If you can merge your, your passion with your profession, 
then it's absolutely a privilege and a joy to be in that position. But, you know, you've got to kind of know your purpose and make it happen as well, which you obviously have. So um, that's amazing. And Fiona, you know, the podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, um, which clearly you are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here having a, a conversation. But when you hear that, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, what does it mean to you? Um, I think it indicates something that um, women need more of. Yeah, I think a lot of women, um, myself included, have um, lack self-belief and the courage it takes to um, follow the journey and the path that you want to go on. And so, you know, I think there are three great words. And if I had anything to say to my daughter, it would be say, Lauren, be bold, be brave, be brilliant. Um, because I can see it in her. She's absolutely got that capability. And I see that in a, a lot of young women. So I, I think it's a, a beautiful positioning, Jeanette. I just think it takes time for us to recognize that we can do that. Um, lots of self-doubt can, can come in, um, knocks along the way. But yeah, I think any woman out there should aim to be brave, bold, and brilliant. Well, what the perfect answer, the perfect way to end the podcast. I wish you huge success with everything that you've got coming down the track. Can't wait to see how things play out and continuing to make the world a better place as you are. So thank you so much, Fiona. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeanette. It's been great. It's been lovely to see you again. You're such a live wire. So thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks, Fiona. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.